Welcome to the Home Staging Show podcast, the show where we deep dive into the world of home staging and how to build a viable home staging business. I'm your host, Nilin, and in each episode, we explore the latest trends, strategies, and art of building a vibrant and thriving home staging business. Welcome back to the show. This is episode 180. Before we start the show today, here is a message from our sponsor. We all need powerful statistics to convince potential clients of the benefits of home staging. Stage flow takes away the pain of having to filter spreadsheets or doing calculations. You enter what you know about every sale of the homes that you've staged and let stage flow do the rest. Easy, real-time statistics for the home staging market. Hey, welcome back to our final episode of 2033. This is our episode 180. So I know there's been quite a lot in between each episode this year, and it's really unintended. It's been a very chaotic year, to say the least, especially, I think, the last quarter or so. Uh, There's just a lot of major changes in my personal life, which I will talk about in our New Year episode. But yeah, it's been a crazy ride, which also makes me reevaluate in terms of where I want the school to be going and how we want to run the business from now on. I think one of the things I've been working on in the past 12 months really is to simplify our business model. And we got to the point where we have set up pretty much all the major foundational pieces in terms of curriculum. And now I'm really working on building an external curriculum in terms of having external teachers coming in to teach at the school. I think one of the things I'm really aware of is that I'm no longer practicing homestager. I don't really have a homestaging business anymore. I don't work with clients one-on-one. So while the foundation stuff is true, I also feel like it's really important to add additional pieces to the curriculum to make sure we're always up to date with the information we're bringing you in our courses. So a lot of things like technology type of courses are going to change into workshop format so that you're always getting the most up-to-date information. I'm actually going to start teaching a series on AI, using AI in your staging business and also automation. And as you know, ChatGPT has changed quite a bit, even in the last 12 months. And so that's why I think with technology type of courses, moving forward, we're going to change that into a live workshop format. We also are streamlining our business model. So as you know, we have soft launch our membership in October or November or so. Uh, We did a Black Friday deal and we're going to have a lifetime membership deal probably until uh, next February, uh, until our anniversary or so. We'll see. But the idea is really to create that community that I always want with the staging school. Essentially, with online business model, it's really difficult sometimes. It's not like an in-personal class. We can see each other. But I think also the relationship you build online is a little bit different. It is very day by day, you know, like time over time. And so it's really actually a very nice relationship when you get to meet people in person. So, yeah, so this is where our kind of our business is going. I'll definitely talk more about that later on in the new year when I have kind of look back to the year and then see what has been working, what has not. But definitely the business going through some transition right now. So I really appreciate you being with us along for the ride. All right, so on to today's episode, we have our old friend Daniel Kaufman coming back onto the podcast, or actually correctly, that this is his first podcast episode. Previously, he did a community talk with us about his staging process, which you can check out in the previous podcast episode just by going to our website and search for that. Daniel brings a unique and authentic perspective to everything he does. Originally from Midwest, he now resides in Southern California, where he raised his family of six. Specializing in home design and real estate industry for nearly a decade as a home stager has led him to become an educator and speaker within the community. Daniel is easy to work with and makes an invaluable partner for creative collaboration. With a formal education in theater and dance, he is not shy about doing what it takes to be noticed and remembered. And if you have taken Daniel's class at the school, you'll definitely see that as well. All right. So without further ado, let's start the show. 
Hi, Daniel. Welcome to the show. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your staging business? Well, thank you for having me. Um, My name is Daniel Kaufman. My home staging company is in Los Angeles, California. We're called Staged Spaces. And we've been around for almost 10 years. And uh, along with my partner, Jason, in our our small team, we tackle uh, vacant, uh, occupied. We do some design projects all different kinds of staging. And we've been having a great time doing that. That's fantastic. And how did you guys get into staging? Did you get into staging first and then your partner comes along? And how how did that work? So our staging company is as old as our relationship, maybe even just like slightly older. Jason and I were friends and we were part of a walking group together with, we all had kids. And um, on a Monday morning, he was approached. He's a a real estate agent before a a home stager and still is an agent. Uh, he was approached by a fellow realtor asking him who his stager was. As soon as she left, he asked me, do you want to do it? <laughs> and I said, well, we can try it. So we got all of the things from our homes that were acceptable and we did our first job and that turned into our second job, which turns into our third job. And, you know, nine years later, nine and a half years later, here we are. That's incredible. I think all of us kind of started with grabbing stuff from our house for, yeah. for our first or second staging. It's the only way. <laughs> and what is your real estate market like there in LA? So the real estate market has been super interesting in the last year. I think it's been interesting everywhere, but during COVID, it was crazy. And then starting about August last year, it seemed like it fell off the face of the earth. No one was selling. There was no inventory available. Certainly no one was staging. And we went almost six months without a job. It was really, really scary. You know, there were a few, but it was super quiet compared to how it had been in the years prior. And it has just picked up again this summer. June and July are looking very hopeful. Things are kind of normalizing again, not to where they were during um, the pandemic, but pre-pandemic activity, I would say. That's great. I I imagine that six months was very difficult. That was so scary. Actually, we had to we had to start looking to the left and the right for more opportunities on how we're going to make some money. Started investing in some of our sideline activities, and that was helpful to get through that period. And it certainly gave us a lot of time to do some marketing and just clean up our workflow and the way we warehouse, the way we've been purchasing. It put it put our entire business under a microscope for us for about half a year. And now I feel like we're much stronger than we were even prior to the, the slowness or the craziness. This is a good place to be in for us. Yeah, sometimes I think it's really worth it to step back and really pull your business apart to see where the weakest link are and then to really work on reinforcing all the foundation piece. Totally, yeah. And then, so how is it like working with Jason in your staging business? Like, how do you guys divide up your responsibilities? Jason and I have an excellent working relationship. I'd say at times it's even stronger than our personal relationship because it's a a little bit older. But when we started this company, I think we were both kind of doing all the things all the time. And that worked like any honeymoon phase for a while. And as the job started becoming more frequent and larger and higher stakes, we had to start separating some of our duties and focusing on what both of us bring to the table in an impactful way. So Jason handles a lot of the business end of our business. He um, looks after our books. He's essentially our business manager our bookkeeper. He is the one in charge of all the taxes as well as the the procedures. So anything happens with a truck or a van or the warehouse or purchasing inventory, the actual paying for and, and shipping the inventory, that's all Jason. And I became exclusively design director. I'm uh, in charge of picking out every project, making sure it gets packed properly, and as well as handling, for the most part, client interactions is, is what I do. That's cool. And does that happen naturally or you guys have like a sit down discussion over like who does what and how does that look like? 
Yeah, we had lots of discussions to get to that point. (laughs) Uh, Getting out of each other's lanes was hard in the beginning. And I think it's something around year six that we actually really figured out who was good at what and what we were going to do. Now Jason kind of leaves me alone with design and I kind of leave him alone with procedures. But I think there was a, there were a lot of, there was a lot of trial and error and there were a lot of conversations, sometimes big dramatic conversations, sometimes other, other times it's very relaxed and productive. Um, but that's kind of the nature of working with your spouse. You, you have this mild to wild style relationship And when it's working, it's completely clicking along in a very unique, awesome way. And when it's falling apart, it's super obvious. I imagine when it's falling apart, it it probably bleeds into a personal relationship. Like Because you are essentially, you work together and you live together, right? And you also raise a family together. So it's a lot of time together. (laughs) Do Do you take breaks from each other? Like, how does that work? So it works out really well for me being around Jason all the time. I'm um, kind of, I run my my relationships that way, my friendships, um, just the, even with the things that I eat, I kind of pick one thing and stick with it until I'm done with it. And, um, you know, luckily I haven't been done with Jason yet or and hopefully won't in the future, but it's, I like that very exclusive and intense style relationship. That's not maybe Jason's first choice. I think he prefers a little bit more variety in his like friendships and inter- social interactions and even in the kinds of work that he does during the day. You know, if he has too many days in a row that are similar activity-wise, he starts to get a little blue. And I really thrive in that space. So for me, it's been great. I don't mind seeing him all day long then going home and talking to the same person. Um, like you, like you mentioned, we're, we're raising children together. So we just, we have a very, very intense relationship. It has, it has advantages and disadvantages. I think it, it, it depends on what kind of personality type you are. Yeah. But I think it, it just, you have to do the work to figure that out, right? Like what works at work, because you also have team members, right? How, how would you say your personal relationships impact your relationship working with your team members? It's a great question. I've all I've often wondered that myself because we've had different versions of a team, right? You know, sometimes we'll have uh, a, a lead designer who works pretty closely with me. Other times we've had no other designer. It's just been me. And we've always had a small core group of stagers that do the heavy lifting in our business. And I think the key to it going well is when those people are very similar and very open to the fact that we are a couple and sometimes you have good days at work and sometimes you don't have such good days at work. Um, That has definitely uh, neutralized itself over time. I think just as Jason and I have gotten older, we've gotten less, less uppity and volatile when things aren't, you know, like great but at the beginning, there were there were fights at work, you know, just like these lovers quarrel fights that probably had nothing to do with staging that were just displaced anger and frustration brought into the workplace now. And, you know, I think we were very fortunate to be working with close friends at the time and people who had been with us for a while. Also, people who are parents have a, a lot of understanding for that that situation uh, we haven't always had partners that are parents, but when they are, it it I can the heartbeat of the company feels a little bit more free. Maybe heartbeat isn't right. Like the personality of the of the company feels a little bit more free for me to kind of act however I would naturally. But I think I I think anyone who has worked with us has definitely seen a lot happen. We've never, it's never like a Jerry Springer episode or anything like that at work. Like no one's truly are like fighting, but tensions run high and it's already a creative industry. And I think just as creative people, we're already very connected to our feelings and very expressive. So you have to be open to that, to want to be in our business, in our, in our uh, environment. Yeah. I think real estate in general is very high tension. Business be in that's why there's so many great reality shows, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> year after year, there's always new ones coming up. Yeah. But 
I think additionally, like working with a partner, especially I think if you're on the flip side, I've worked in those dynamics where you're like, oh, mom and dad are fighting. And it's like really, really awkward. <laughs> yes, it is exactly like when mom and dad are fighting. And I, and I have seen our employees like struggle to kind of find that neutral space where they're not looking like they're favoring what, what I might want versus what Jason might want or something like that. And, and we do, we do try very hard to never put anyone in the center of a dispute or just a disagreement about something, right? Like something that you'd have to overcome naturally with any coworker as a, as a stager. It just looks so much more intense when, when everybody knows that you guys are partners and you're likely bringing this tension from home or whatever. Yeah. When I ran my staging business, I ran it with my sister. And I think it's similar in that dynamic also, because when we have a disagreement, like you can tell, you can tell on other people's faces that it's affecting them. But you're like, but I'm also very annoyed at the point. It's like, how do I control all this stuff and make sure it's not bleeding through? That is definitely, I think, the challenging part when you're working in a team dynamic that is not family members. Yeah. Yeah. And it definitely becomes, it feels like your company starts to, especially when it's small, it starts to feel like your family, right? Because you're going through all these weird experiences daily, going into other people's houses with the, with this other core group of people and you learn to start relying on one another. So I think it's just like, if you're in a, if you're in a relationship, it's just like making friends as a couple. You just have to find the people that fit well into the way you can be whether it's good or bad. Yeah. And then how do you make sure the workflow and operation-wise runs smoothly? It sounds like you guys have talked about it, right? We talk in year six, you talk about it, like how it's going to be divvied up. But when you're working with your team members, how do you communicate with them to make sure that they know exactly who to go to for X, Y, and Z? And also if there's an issue, like what do they do on job site? Yeah, that is a great question. And that honestly just took time. That, that took uh, me feeling out what I'm comfortable fielding as a manager and what Jason is comfortable fielding as a manager. And it was a, a very natural evolution. And honestly, the way it worked itself into what it is, is uh, when, it, when a, another stager on our team would come and ask me something, I just, if I, if I don't know the answer, I would stop pretending like I knew the answer as if I was the only one running the business. I now have someone I can fall back on. And I have no problem anymore saying, oh, you need to talk to Jason about that. Or, or Jason would know, let's go ask him. Or in the beginning, I think we were both very eager to be the, the person that you go to, the, the owner, the, the one with all the information, the gatekeeper. <laughs> and you know, over time, you start to feel more comfortable and more confident in what you bring in your specific role. So if it's not a design based question, I have no problem saying you need to go talk to Jason about that. And if it is a design-based question, I think he feels similarly free to say to them, let's go ask Daniel about it. But that honestly just took time and and bumping into each other, figuring out where that division in the lanes is. Yeah. It does it does take a bit of time to kind of figure that out and like what you're good at and what you're not good at. What would you say are the advantages and challenges of running a business with your spouse? Well, I think that home staging can be a bit unpredictable as far as the number of hours you're going to work in a day or in a week or a month. And when someone in your household is tied to the exact same crazy schedule, there's less spillover of what that can be when when you have one partner in a relationship that has a very consistent schedule and is depending on you to be home at a certain time or maintain certain hours when you're both kind of freelancing your whole life like this it i i think it provides more understanding and more opportunity to divide and conquer um because everybody has the same information i also think that it's a complex industry because you're you're dealing with people, you're dealing with furniture, you're dealing with you know numbers and warehousing and transportation, and all of those things create a very unique set of things you want to talk about at the end of the day. And when you have the person who's been with you always or all day long, it, there's like a, a built-in natural understanding about how complex all of those those issues can get 
Um, similarly, I think it's beneficial to have your, your partner working with you because you start to develop a shorthand that is unique to your business. And it, it absolutely can skyrocket your productivity and your workflow when you don't even have to talk about these things anymore. You're, you're, you're so intertwined with this partner that they're picking up what you're putting down and vice versa. I think that those are like really good, um, it was tips, right? Or I think that the, that can be super beneficial to a couple wanting to work together as home stagers, th- those qualities. Yeah. And I imagine scheduling is quite chaotic because you have four kids. So how do yeah. you, and Jason's also a real estate agent and you guys run this aging company. So how do you coordinate between your family schedule and also your business schedules? There is no coordinating. It is just constant chasing cats, you know, and like that—that's why it's important to to have someone in the know around you all the time. Someone who gets it. Someone who's looking at the same schedule. I can only imagine if Jason was like a a firefighter or something like that, right? And he was at work for one day and then home for two days, or at work for three days and at home for one day, like that. And I, I was trying to pick up all the loose ends of these four children. That, that would just be nuts. I mean, we're constantly you know, who's in the van, who's in the truck, who's driving the car in case someone has to leave the work site to go pick up a sick kid, which happens, you know, like every week or, you know, during the summer, it's nearly impossible. Sometimes kids are with us and one, one, one of us is kind of orchestrating that situation while the other one is trying to pick up some of the responsibilities to get the job installed. There really is no great system in place. It's just how well you communicate with your partner and understanding what it is that needs to happen, like as kind of like a big arc. And then just kind of like, it's like whack-a-mole. Like you just have to like hit the problems as they, as they show up. And if you have essentially doubled your yourself because your partner's there and they get everything the same, you're going to, you're going to hit the moles a lot faster than you would just by yourself. Yeah. I can't imagine like running a business. And running for kids. I would not recommend it. <laughs> it's like the fastest way to hairlessness. It's just... It's <laughs> it's, it's, you have it's, a lot of hair though. Both of you and Jason, you still have a full head of hair. Well, we're trying very hard, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so what are some other strategies or techniques that you recommend essentially to maintain effective communication and prevent conflicts? Mm-hmm. Well, I think having regular meetings is a great way to stay on the same page. Jason and I have meetings as a couple at home, and we have meetings at work as work partners. And they have different objectives at the end of every meeting. At home, we we struggle more with, with deflecting anxiety-ridden situations. So what, what helps us is being very clear and putting on a, like a visual calendar for everybody to see who's doing what, especially if there's something kind of out of the ordinary, like we have to go to a wedding or something and we have to get all the kids ready. You know, I will have a list of, of duties. He will have a list of duties. And that works really well for us at home. But we didn't come to that realization until it had fallen apart many times. And then we thought, okay, we need to be way more clear about what each person is bringing. Because it seems like our lanes at home are more vague. At work, maybe because the the activities are more routine, we don't we don't have such a such a problem doing that. Like we're not discussing every day, okay, you're going to do this and I'm going to do that. We just have our own individual uh, workflows. But we still have to have meetings in order to understand what the other person how much time the other person needs in order to complete their task. So I would say planning is the biggest problem solver when you're trying to manage like an at-home life and an at-work life. I also think that the ability to change direction is important, especially when you have families involved. You both need to be aware that there are going to be, you could agree on something and it all looks perfect. And five minutes later, that plan might need to change because there's a new element that wasn't there when you had the meeting. So being nimble like that um, is really important to keeping a, a sane 
um, work environment and flow because uh, things are always changing. And then finally, I, th- I think it is important to be able to create a company and a culture that feels right to you, to not to not have to act in certain ways that that don't fit the uniqueness of the characters involved. So if your if your company requires one of you to be more forward facing than the other, then arriving to that decision sooner rather than later is only going to benefit you. Um, and sometimes that might look like someone has a more important job than others, and that needs to kind of be spoken about and be okay. Because when everyone understands their job, everyone can do their job really well. And then you have the ability to kind of play with what roles that can expand into. I love that. I mean, I think that also applies so well in running a staging business. It's funny because before our interview, I just got off a call with a student who's having partnership issues. That They're essentially going through a business divorce. It's it's not messy, but it's dragging on and on and on forever. And a lot of issue came from not having a very clear understanding in the very beginning when the partnership is formed, that the agreement was super vague. It's just that, you know, we split the profit or we split the workload, but it doesn't, it doesn't quantify essentially or spell out exactly what that workflow is yeah. or how much you're expected to work in the business. So those are some of the things that became very problematic down the line now that they want to split from each other. I think some form of prenuptial plan is really good, whether you're, you know, married to your business partner or not, or, you know, dating them or not, because sometimes you do get to a point where maybe it's not even the relationship that doesn't work anymore. Maybe it's just the business isn't working anymore and you need some kind of exit strategy. That is something that Jason and I surprisingly have talked about and are in full agreement about what happens if we need to dissolve this company And the ability to grow together is also a strength as a couple because you have more invested in one another. You know, like we broke up, everything would have to break up. Whereas if people are just business partners, just that one thing needs to break up. And there are benefits and uh, negatives to, to, to both of those situations. But I think we are, we're really trying to make it work at all costs. There is no just, oh, we've been, we have been having uh, communication issues for a while. I don't think this is working out. Like Jason and I have everything's intertwined. So we're really committed to making this plan uh, work out. And I think before when you were asking, like, what are some of the benefits to working with a, a partner? I think that's a huge one too. Yeah. I think that is so healthy. Actually, that's a very healthy relationship because you do have to talk about the ugly side of things because it's bound to happen. It's not always like rainbow and unicorn. I wish every day in a relationship, but that's not how reality shakes out because you're going to talk about living expenses, stress, especially when you're raising children, you're going to have disagreement on even just the way you talk to kids and, you know, and things like that or how to manage this XYZ thing at work. So I think it's actually a very healthy relationship to be transparent and talk about these early on. Absolutely. Yeah. It can be maybe a little bit uncomfortable to, to brush subject at the beginning, but I think everyone feels better when they know what's going to happen. Yeah. And also, I don't know if it's, it's like a growing old thing, you know, because I think when I was younger getting in a relationship, you don't really think about, oh, what happens with our assets if we were to break up? <laughs> but now yeah. when you're older, you're like, uh, maybe we should talk about this. Yeah. <laughs> Jason jokes that I always love to have those kinds of like high, high pressure, high value conversations right before we go to bed, like laying in bed. I'm like, so, you know, your, your life insurance policy, like, you know, and it just, and then it explodes into like this super late night conversation, which I would not recommend doing at night. This is something you should set aside time for in the beginning, but I just, I pick those moments. <laughs> and did you have any external help? Because I think one of the things that was really beneficial for me and my business was I got business coaching to coach me around working with family, especially, you know, with sister. I think sister is complicated. I don't know about it's you or like yeah. a lot of listeners. I think sister's relationships are really complicated. We're definitely not one of the sisters who are like super in sync with everything. In fact, we, I think like, I think a friend of mine, well, a friend of mine is an astrologist and she read both of our charts. She's like, you guys are like 
butting heads. You're destined to butt heads. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty much true to our relationship. You know, there's a lot of disagreement. We had to like smooth out. And in a way, I had to grow up also. Yeah. Because you were also managing... You're not only managing a business, but our dynamic was I essentially as my sister's manager. So I had to figure out a way that is rational, but also not piss her off on a personal level, which could right. be difficult in a sister dynamic. For those of you who have maybe semi-difficult sister, you understand. But but yeah, like I had had to work externally with a business coach to really work on my own issue as well. Oh, that that actually would have been a great way to fast track. I think some of the revelations we made along the way which, to get a little coaching. We started investing like in couples therapy just this last year, not for our business, but just for our home life. We've had a number of stressors and well, that whole long period of not having business that's like very stressful for a relationship. And I, we have picked up a a lot of tips, you know, like that visual aid that I was talking about before, where we assign out our duties when it's something kind of out of the norm um, to kind of lower the stress level of everything. That was, that was the result of one of our couple, our, our therapy sessions. Everything about our business was a school of hard knocks. Like we would just, you know, bump into each other and kind of stumble back and fight about it a little bit and then move on. Luckily, We just both wanted the same thing for most of the time that we were in those development stages of building our business. So that that shared goal kept us together. But I think, yeah, if if there are some services out there that help you to work better with with a with a spouse or a family member or something like that, that I would definitely recommend that. I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't know either <laughs> until my business coach was like, I think we need some coaching around this. This is clearly hindering the growth of the business. And yeah. like, oh, okay. <laughs> I feel like business coaching sometimes is part therapy almost because there are a lot of things you can say to a business coach, but not to a partner or even a team yeah. member. Yeah. Our biggest hurdle in the beginning, um, and I might've mentioned this already, is we both wanted to be the showgirl. Like we both wanted to have our idea be heard or our face be recognized for this thing. And Jason came in very much in the beginning as kind of like our financial backing, which was, you know, super important to our development. And I had kind of all the ideas. And so it was this constant tug of war of like, well, I'm paying for it. Well, I'm thinking of it kind of thing race the top. And then when it started to really come off the wheels, we were like, holy crap, you know, we need to pull back and like everybody needs to to chill out and do what we do. It doesn't really matter because it's not like Daniel Kaufman staging or Jason Crehan staging at stage spaces. It's, it's its own brand, you know? I mean, the designer, I think always kind of gets a, a public image uh, or publicly recognized first. But something valuable that I did, a switch that I made in the beginning was every opportunity I got was crediting Jason for the work that he did. And I think that kind of built up his confidence um, for the partner that he was. I felt better about it because it really was a shared effort. And I think now the perception is just that, like Jason probably did build this business and Daniel kind of directed it the whole way. And we're, I think we're both good with that. Yeah. I think it just, it, you work it out, right? You, you figure it out like what works for you and you know, this might work for other people. It might not, but you have to make that choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you guys spend so much time together. Do you have actually a routine for self-care? Like, do you block out time to be alone or Jason needs it? I don't know. Sometimes I have had boyfriends where it's like, you know, I need my own space. And I'm like, that's fine because I need my own space too. So you can go do whatever you want and we'll come back whenever we feel like we need to be. I don't know if it's because of our age difference or not. We have a 10-year age difference, Jason and I. I am poorly invested in self-care activities. I'm never I'm never feeling dep- like I need it. So I don't do anything kind of classically self-caring. I don't even stop to eat. I'm just like I just stand up and <laughs> like continue to stage and to me the I the notion of this is actually this was our last therapy session we were just talking about this my therapist was like you have to take care of yourself you're going to burn out and he was saying you're going to burn out because he is 
very invested in those activities. Like he comes home and he wants to just kind of like watch some YouTube or have a drink or relax for a little while. And then we can jump back into maybe some more office work, like maybe sending out some invoices or creating proposals or things like that. But he really requires like a good 90 minute break after we come home, maybe even before kids get picked up or after kids get picked up or something like that. And I'm kind of more go, 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 go. I think over in time, that will change for me as well. Maybe that happens around like the 40 year mark or something. I don't know, but like I can see that it is like a sign of constant anxiety for me that I'm just always feeling like there's not really time to sit down and I'm too interested in doing all these different things. And I do see the way his self-care benefits him. He he comes back to those activities after his little break, more present and just more capable than if on the days that that's not possible to take that break, you know, he gets grouchy faster Eating is a huge thing for him. Like he has to have like time to get like to actually get a meal, to sit down, to enjoy it. So I think it's it's probably personalities, you know, whatever works for you. But there's no concrete self-care schedule for me. There is definitely a concrete self-care schedule for him. I think that's great. I think, yeah, I think I didn't really care about self-care when I was younger. And I always roll my eye when people were like, Oh, what is your self-care routine? Self-care. I'm like, uh. you know, like when you watch those Instagram reels where influencers like, I make my bed in the morning and I like take my matcha whisk and I, you know, make myself <laughs> latte. And I'm always like, oh God. But no, sometimes I'm kind of like I start seeing why having those kind of routine or in a way like ritual also, like why that benefits because it kind of helps you. That's one of the things I was reading, for example, like Michael Phelps, for example, before every race, he always has to put headphones on. That's his ritual. And a lot of top athletes do the same thing. They either have to have, you know, like this particular candy or this particular breakfast, or, you know, it's like a routine that helps them feel even like less anxious going into this race. So maybe that's something for us as well. Like as we get older, I think, Especially, I think nowadays life gets more chaotic. I think in general, it's just much more chaotic. I actually really miss the 90s where I don't even have, I didn't even have a cell phone back then. Oh, the only way you can reach me is through an answer machine and maybe I will get it or I don't get it depending yeah. when I get home. I just have that one machine. And then remember that 90s movie or maybe early 2000s, he's just not that into you. And Drew Barrymore was like, oh, it's yeah. so exhausting. Like he's yeah. going to IM me on, you know, AOL Messenger or he's going to leave a uh, machine message or he's going to like email me. There's too many ways to get rejected. And I feel kind of the same way nowadays. It's like I'm bombarded, like either his email or Instagram. And sometimes I don't even see them because things get misfired or they get filtered to my junk mail. There's so much information all the time. And I just feel naturally anxious, I think, nowadays with a smartphone. I agree with that. And actually, I think Jason struggles with feeling anxious about keeping up with that more than I do. But he he's also more productive with that stuff. You know, like I, I the same way I will miss emails and phone call. Like if my phone rings, I'm probably not answering it. It's got to come in the form of a text these days, you know, because I need the ability to kind of like snooze it and read it later. As soon as Apple came out with that update where you could unread your text messages, I was in heaven. I was like, oh, it's perfect. Because before you'd like read one and then it would go away and I completely forget about it. And he, those types of uh, interactions really weigh on him. So that's probably why he takes those big breaks because he actually reads every single email he gets. Whereas I delete, like, I wait till it gets to a couple hundred and then I just delete it all and start over, you know? And and if there was an important one in there, uh, so be it, you know, uh, they'll reach out again. Is kind of my motto. I don't know if I totally recommend that way of being, but that is, maybe that's, maybe that is my self-care. I just, I'm like... Delete massive emails in bulk. Yes. (laughs) Purging. But that's that's the thing today, you know, it's like so much. I Even like with dating a new person, you have to figure out their ideal way of being reached out, you know, because you might text them and they never, they read it and they never respond to it. But in person, they're just like very responsive. Yeah, yeah. 
But things like that drives me nuts, you know, because I'll be like, I can see you read the message. Why couldn't you just like text me back? Isn't that maddening when you're going back and forth with someone and you see it's delivered or read and you're like, where'd you go? Like, just give me an emoji. Like, yeah. like, how hard is it to send me an emoji? Say that like, okay, great. You know, whatever. Uh, yeah. Confirm. Yeah. <laughs> so it is, I, I, yeah, I do think there's a lot, you know, and I think as your business grows, it becomes more complicated in a way because now there's team members, there's strangers in your business actually and who might not know your dynamics with Jason. Do you find that you need to kind of onboard your team member? Yeah, that was just, that's a good question. I was thinking about that myself. Yes. I, I, whenever a new employee shows up, we're on our best behavior for, I'd say, like the 60 day probation period. And just like dating, you know, wait till, wait to, for the wedding till all flaws can come out. <laughs> and, um, it's, it's a lot like that. You know, we want people to come in thinking and feeling that this is something that they can easily be part of. And it's not to fool them thinking, oh, you know, we'll just wait to, to really be ourselves. Um, but it's a lot, you know, it can be a lot to come into something that is so intense as our relationship is because a lot of times we're not even saying things that even make sense. It's just a whole series of inside jokes and, uh, you know, like these weird half sentences that don't mean anything to anybody else, but to us, it's just how we talk that that's challenging to, to manage whenever there's a new person around, you kind of feel like you have a house guest for a long time. And then eventually that house guest just becomes part of your family and everyone is fine and normal. But I have found that that, that process for it to naturally go into effect takes up to uh, like a year of uh, like onboarding someone truly. They, they can start working with us in a month and the job is getting done. But for it to feel like super comfortable and everybody is doing the same kind of thing and they're, there's not like a question every step of the way. That takes like the the better part of a year working together. So that's kind of where I am with our two stager, our two main guys right now. They've been with us for about two and a half years, and it's it's like just having little extensions of our of our own hands. They get it. Everybody knows what they're what they're supposed to be doing. They they know how to read the situation when there's like maybe a client involved or something like that. And it feels really safe and good to be at work or on like communicating with them. That's the amazing. Beginning. And how, like, but how did you deal with like the ups and downs with staging business with your two uh, main employee? Because, you know, for example, you just talk about with six months where it's really quiet. And also like, I think it's normal for stagers to think about this, especially winter months. Once we hit Halloween, usually that's when things start to die down. How do you keep them up in terms of morale, but also like things to do and things like that? Yeah, that's a great question. That as an owner or a manager is probably the most stressful feeling when you're not at your business. You're like at home thinking about these other people who are now essentially your family members and you're not getting a paycheck, which means they're not getting a paycheck and you don't want to have to replace these people all the time. We were able to hold on to the whole team during that that quiet period by reducing hours and giving as many hours as we could that made sense. Um, so there was a lot of warehouse work during that period. We we sold some inventory and we had them help with that. Um, we'd also look for opportunities where we could subcontract them. So sometimes you know, someone needed help moving something out of the garage or whatever instead of Jason just going to do it with his truck, he'd hand that over to one of the guys and, you know, get them some hours that way. It is exactly like having children, that feeling of of wanting to, to keep like food on your employees' tables. It's, it's such a fine balancing game. I don't even know if I have a good advice for how to get through it because other than hold on to your good people as long as you can and be as creative as you possibly can to keep them interested in working with you because it's way harder to onboard someone when you do get busy. You want, you want your core group around you when it's like gangbusters and everybody's everyone's getting their normal hours. And I think the best way to do that is come up with, with productive activities at your warehouse, see if there are any capabilities or skills that they have that you haven't tapped yet 
Um, maybe, you know, they can be visiting uh, real estate brokerages and handing out some promotional information. Maybe one of them is really good at social media and can start, you know, collaborating with you. Or maybe you can partner with another staging company that is busy and give them some hours um, during that that quiet time for you. Someone who maybe has their hand in like a different aspect of the market that's doing like more design work or like Airbnbs or something. Yeah, for sure. I, yeah, that's the other thing. I think that's the biggest responsibility. It's just my my dad also owned the business and he always felt very pressured and he's also always very stressed during year end. Their their business has a bonus structure and that's really when all the bonus kicks in, you know? And it's always, he's always really stressed around payroll time, especially during slower season. And that's, that's just, but he's like, you know, it's my social responsibility because these people have families to feed. And if we all of a sudden don't have a paycheck for them or steady work, their family is going to be in trouble. And so we really, like my dad really held on for a really long time. He was hesitant in closing the business. There's just at a time in his industry, like there was no there was no viable way to keep the business going or even selling it. You're just basically selling the business for parts, which was unfortunately end up what they had to do because there was no other way um, to survive in that industry because we were the only independent left in his industry and everyone else's became like a big corporation or they being eaten up by a corporation. Yeah. So it was really, yeah, it was really tough. I think that's the, that's really the stressful part, I think. But the thing is you need team to grow. You really need good team members to grow. And so I think, especially you just mentioned for someone to fully, fully on board, it could take up to a year. Yeah. I, I mean, mean I, in my experience anyway. Yeah. So, you know, it's really crucial for us to keep good talents um, as long as we can. Yeah, it is. I mean, they, and then the longer someone is part of your company, they start to have affiliation with your with your um with your normal clientele and, and and they kind of expect that. I mean, we have lost people in the past that, you know, some of our agents were heartbroken to see go. And you know, you don't you don't want to do that to them either. So yeah, that can that can be a really stressful part of this business. And if it were not for Jason to handle most of that, I would not be in business because of that reason. I'm managing people and people's expectations of me in a like a financial way like that, that's too much for me. And how do your actual children feel about your business? I mean, because sometimes the business life might bleed into their personal life. Let's say like a commitment, like you have to go see a client all of a sudden, but you've got kids you have to take to the movies or something like that. Like how do your actual children feel about you guys running the business? Um, that's a really good question. I, so if my parent was like a designer, I would think it was the coolest thing ever. My parents were both school teachers and I was always kind of like, oh, they have such normal jobs. But, you know, I don't know that my kids think it's a, a really cool thing or not. Um, they, they are all start getting, they're all about to get to that age where they could be working with us. Well, I tried it a little bit this summer and it has not been going very well, but there are, but 12 and 13 is a hard age, whether it's boys or girls, it's just kind of like everyone's feeling a little weird and, you know, half the time they're little kids, half the time they're like 30 year olds and, and it's summertime. So <laughs> I don't, I don't know what the trajectory of my children ever working with us is, or our children working with us ever is. But I think they think the job is interesting-ish. Um, they certainly like the fact that they like coming to our work. They like playing around with our trucks. And the warehouse is like a fun, interesting place to be for them. But they've also spent a lot of times like on iPads at a kitchen counter, having, you know, sofas unpacked around on them and, and stuff. So maybe they're a little over it. I don't know. I think they just get so used to it and they're oblivious. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> kind of oblivious. I don't know. All my children want to be like uh, influencers. So that's the. I think that's the trend today, isn't it? Like all <laughs> the little kids grow up wanting to be influencers. Influencers life looks pretty good. Someone's paying to paying you to travel and then Absolutely. live in nice hotel and then feed you really nice food. And you take, you just take pictures on your phone. Yeah, that's about the only time they notice uh, work, the, the 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 social media aspect of our home staging business. They're all pretty tuned into that, like what's happening with that. But outside of that, I don't I don't think they have a whole lot of interest. 
That would be funny if your kids are doing your social media. That would be great. <laughs> oh my gosh. I haven't even thought of that. Maybe I have like a little like videographer and director of photography in the making or something. That'd be great. Yeah, exactly. Someone can hold your ring light when you're like recording. Yes. Someone can like hold the phone when you're recording. Hold it higher. Yeah. <laughs> and then you can pay them wages so that they get yeah. allowance money and you get the tax write-off. That's right. Yeah, I need to start making little millionaires of these kids with their <laughs> Roth IRAs or something so they can take care of me when I'm old and decrepit for moving on. I remember I remember when I first started started like in real estate. I, I first started as a real estate agent. And then one of the senior trainer was like, Yeah, if you have kids, make them into your little workers because it's a tax write-off for you and they get yeah. allowance money. I know. I see a lot of that on the um, on my social media. Like, you have kids, you have a business. Here's how to make them a millionaire by the time they're thirty. And you know, but that you that also has to you have to have the ability to put away that amount of money every year for them too. You know, like yes, the capability is there, but you also have to come up with the funds. <laughs> exactly, and also I feel like millionaire is not as cool as it used to be. I just because yeah. of inflation. <laughs> I know. Now we need to make billionaires. Exactly. Because I think I read a stat uh, actually a few years ago before the pandemic, uh, making six figure, like a, if you make 160K in the Bay Area, for example, you're considered low income. No, it's not crazy. <laughs> because the, the way the housing market was going so crazy, well, before pandemic, I, I'm sure now it's even crazier with the, 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 low, the low supply. Yeah, but High interest rates and all that. Ugh. Yeah, it's insane. It's, it's, it's crazy. So finally, we're coming to the end of our show. I can't believe time fly by so fast. But what would you say is your number one tip for stagers who are thinking or actually working with their spouse or their partner in their staging business? I, my number one tip to anyone who's thinking about working with their, their spouse is identifying your role and staying in it and being able to grow long-term with your partner in your role. I think the minute you start trying to do something that you in your in your relationship or in your partnership that you weren't doing when you set this up, it has it has a, a huge chance of falling off the rails. So staying in your lane, knowing your your duty and and having a heavy amount of respect for what the other person is doing. Yeah, I think respect is so important. That's the other thing. It always has to come from that space that you respect each other's and what you do for work. Yeah, cool. yep, it helps. It makes everybody feel good and important. Yeah, thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. So that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help and support the show, there are three ways to do so. You can leave a review and rating on iTunes. You can share the show on social media, or you can donate to support the maintaining costs for the podcast. You can make a donation through the show notes or on the sidebar of our site. If you haven't left a review on iTunes, please do so. This will help us grow the show and book more guests. If you have any questions, feedback, and suggestions, you can comment on the show notes. You can also find the show notes by going to stagemore.com slash podcast. That's it. Have a fantastic week and happy staging. Happy staging.